Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Coco's Cup. I'm your host, Coco Hontas, and I'm so grateful that you're here. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about mental health and my experience with it, specifically bipolar 2. So what exactly is bipolar 2? Bipolar 2 is a mood disorder that's characterized by recurrent episodes of depression and hypomania. Hypomania is defined by elevated mood, energy increases, and heightened levels of activity. The main differences between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 diagnoses is that bipolar 2 does not experience full manic episodes. I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 on March 21st of 2023. I'm not gonna lie, when my psychiatrist had told me, I thought that I was clinically insane. Like, I could not be saved. I was so nervous and so afraid because I didn't want people's perception of me to change based on my diagnosis. Little did I know that bipolar 2 is truly not what the media makes it to be. Some common symptoms and ones that I've also experienced personally include depressive episodes, hypomania, sadness, loneliness, low energy, change in sleep and appetite, difficulty in concentration, increased energy, racing thoughts, increased levels of creativity, impulsivity, and decreased need for sleep. So at this point, it's been about six months since I've been diagnosed with bipolar and I've been on medication ever since. I feel like I've learned so much about myself from my triggers and knowing how to handle them to just knowing how to navigate my feelings better. So at the time when I realized that my bipolar was at its very peak, this is before I even knew I had bipolar, I was sleeping maybe two hours a night and I felt completely energized in the morning. That's a sign. And so they prescribed me Seroquel, which is something that's commonly given to patients of schizophrenia. I know, that's scary. And I mean scary in terms of the unknown. So starting with the 20 milligrams, it kept me pretty sedated and I was getting more sleep, but it still wasn't enough. So they upped me up to 100, which I know is a fairly big jump, but I was also experiencing a lot of rage. I was experiencing depersonalization, devaluation, and of course I'll explain what those are. So depersonalization is feeling disconnected from the body. It's just kind of like you're observing yourself as a third person, kind of when you read books, it's third person. For example, I know that I'm Coco but I was just watching myself as if I'm not Coco. And that's very scary because then I don't feel responsible for myself. So I was doing a lot of impulsive things and I was I was doing a lot of bad things. When it came to the devaluation, I had a really negative self-image. I had low self-esteem and I was feeling really insecure, which all became a source of distress for myself. When it came to people that I was interacting with, I had a lot of irritability. I was withdrawing from conversation and I was pushing towards isolation and overall I was just emotionally disconnected. In having the medication, I was getting a better understanding of my triggers, of when I would be feeling bipolar rage, hypomania, depression, and it was because I was being put in high-stress situations, there was a lot of major life changes in my life at the time, I had a disruptive sleep pattern, and I was sleeping anywhere from 2 to 16 hours a day, There was a lot of hormonal changes as well because I was going on and off of birth control. Funny enough, the changes in the season was really affecting me. Prior to being diagnosed with bipolar and taking medication, I was somebody who was able to shut off my emotions with the quickness. If something upset me, I was over. If something made me angry, I wasn't even feeling it at this point. I jumped very quickly to depersonalization, so I was not myself anymore. I was a third party and I was just watching. I struggled a lot with emotional availability because even I couldn't be there for myself. So in taking the Seroquel, it was making me have to confront my emotions and I just did not know what to do. The medication wasn't strong enough, so what did they do? Up my dosage from 100 to 500 in a week. I was sleeping for 16 hours a day. I was sedated more than anything. 
And mind you, Seroquel is a mood stabilizer. I was so numb. Coco was somebody who could sleep for two hours and she'd be fine for work. They made my bedtime at 8 o'clock and I had to take my medication at 6. So from 6 p.m. until 7 a.m., I would be sedated. One day I had taken my medication at said time and I woke up for the next day for work and I could not talk. I had lost my voice completely. I had no consciousness. I was just there. My words were so slurred, I couldn't feel a bone in my body. So when I was talking, it sounded a lot like, oh my god. And you know how some medication has side effect of death? I thought that's what I was experiencing. I was at work and I was like, no way, I'm gonna die right here. I think I drank maybe 600 milligrams of caffeine within the next hour because no way was I gonna feel like that. And the caffeine just balanced it out completely because, you know, 600 milligrams to 500 milligrams, which one won? And I never took the Seroquel ever again after that. I called my psychiatrist that day about what happened and they switched me to Caplita, which is what I'm taking currently. Caplita is also a mood stabilizer, but it also helps to reduce the severity of my episodes, which Seroquel was not doing. It was just numbing me. So far, I don't really have complaints with Caplita. I think that sometimes it can be stronger, but at the same time, I could also just better manage my emotions and reduce the triggers. I think that a lot of people become afraid of medication because they think that you're going to get reliant on them. There's times where I'm around people where I feel very secure and I just won't bring my medication because I know that I'm not going to need it. If I know that I'm in the possibility of being in a trigger situation, I'm taking my medication with me. My bag is going to have lip gloss, my ID, and one pill. Do not play with me. I think that it's really important to recognize that various lifestyle choices and habits can impact your mood stability and overall well-being. First and foremost, sleep is so important. Maintaining a consistent sleep schedule is so important. I cannot stress it enough. Having an irregular sleep pattern can trigger mood episodes, let me tell you. We should practice and promote having quality sleep. And this would include having a comfortable sleeping environment and avoiding stimulants like energy drinks. Something that I was pretty blind to before was just how much physical health can really affect your mental health. It truly does go hand in hand because exercise can help regulate your mood, reduce stress, and improve your overall health. In the same month that I was diagnosed with bipolar, I got a gym membership for the first time. And let me tell you, I was really at my peak. I really loved my body. I enjoyed working out. I was looking forward to going to the gym. Lately, I have been going through an episode and it's been a little bit difficult for me, so I haven't been going to the gym as much. And what do we know? It has affected my mental health. It's kind of like a circle. But it's really important to incorporate exercise and any kind of movement, even if it's in small increments. Going into diet and nutrition, I previously have struggled with eating disorders, so my relationship with food has been kind of weird and it's definitely gotten a lot better. Better where I've gained 20 pounds, I know. But I am the happiest I've been in my entire life, really. And I would vouch and say that diet really affects your mood and energy levels. And energy is a very important aspect of bipolar too because it's easily compromised. Stress is a potential trigger for mood swings in bipolar disorder. So it's really important to find ways to stress management. Something that really helps me are breathing exercises because it helps me reground myself and just find my center. I feel like when my days are structured, I just feel so much more productive. 
When I don't know what I'm doing in a day, it can make me move quickly into devaluation and feeling like I'm the worst person in the world and I'm not doing enough. I've also found that using a planner and just having a structured day helps me to stabilize my mood because there's no surprises. I, I already know what I'm going to do, so I'm not going to get into something that I'm not already aware of. It doesn't help that I'm indecisive and I'm just realizing that's why I like to be around decisive people because my mood can stay stable because I don't have to figure anything out. Shout out to my decisive people. I love you. With bipolar, my mind can race with the quickness and sometimes I forget to pay attention to the present and be mindful. So you're going to be talking about mindfulness. Mindfulness as a practice is staying focused to the present moment. This could benefit someone like me with bipolar because it helps us to become more aware of our mood shifts and triggers. In practicing mindfulness, it also helps to reduce anxiety, depression, and stress, which are all symptoms of bipolar too. In integrating mindfulness into my daily life, I've been trying to be more intentional about things. So when I'm eating, I try to think about what I'm eating and just showing appreciation and gratefulness for what the food is doing to nourish my body. The other week or so, I was on the Stairmaster and it kills. It literally kills. It's horrible. But I was trying to shift my mind into thinking, I'm so grateful that my body can do this. I'm so happy that my body functions in a way that allows me to do this. It honestly kind of helped. It let me go on the Stairmaster for 18 minutes. I'll take it. Another big part is self-awareness and just being able to recognize and understand your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and triggers. This helps someone like me to identify the early signs of mood changes and be able to make informed decisions without switching to devaluation or depersonalization or impulsivity. For a lot of bipolar 2 people, impulsivity shows in ways of money. So they start spending their money sporadically and then they just end up with $12,000 in debt. Thankfully, God just made me sporadic and impulsive with change. So that can be with my hair, with piercings, mostly. My larger bipolar episodes only really show up every couple months. So before I was diagnosed with bipolar, I was getting a new piercing every couple months to satisfy that craving. I really love writing and I'm thankful to have been gifted with the power of writing, but journaling can really benefit and help with self-awareness. Maintaining a journal effectively can be really difficult because I don't want to force myself to write, so I truly just write when I want to. Lately, it's just been poems, and of course, I'm going to be showing you guys a poem that I wrote when I was experiencing bipolar rage. Do not get alarmed or scared, but this poem is rather violent, and it's called Red. The cadence of my heart and the hymns of a drum, these bullets such as words at the swiftness of my thumb, seeing red and its bloodshot for the rage has ignited within, at the release of this gunshot, will your reality truly begin? I wish the worst and it's static, pleading the infliction impending from this begging automatic. Red I am and red I see, a bipolar Gemini to clear the debris. Let me fulfill your worst fantasy, to exhaust you from your sins in this blood baptistry. Now, I've yet to write a poem in hypomania, which is the opposite of what I was experiencing there. I think that writing has become an outlet for me and being able to write in a figurative way is just much easier than trying to collect all of my thoughts. I'm gonna assume that you kind of understand the intent and the meaning behind that poem because I don't think it's the best to explain it right now. Poems has become a more effective way for me to talk about my emotions and express how I'm feeling without having to use a journal. I feel like journaling just requires so much writing my hand is gonna cramp up Whereas a poem, I can just easily type it. Well, actually, I can really just type my journal. All in all, I just feel like journaling is just so taxing for me. 
I have a lot of harsh memories when it comes to journaling, but something that I was trying to practice a little bit more recently was including happy memories because I didn't want my journal just to consist of negative emotions, you know? Something that I've also realized a little bit more recently is that there is no time where it's not okay to have a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I think in the peak of my bipolar 2, so maybe three months in, I decided to stop seeing my therapist because I felt like I didn't need it anymore. And that was my excuse. Looking back at it now, I was just experiencing hypomania. It seemed like everything was going my way, emotions were so new to me, I was experiencing happiness to the extent, and all of my emotions are very heightened. So when I say that I was happy, I was jolly. I was excited. I was enthusiastic. When I was upset, it was the worst day of my life. I felt like nothing could make me more upset than the moment that I was in right now. And in saying that, at the beginning of my bipolar diagnosis, I was very much engulfed by my emotions. I felt like my emotions controlled me, and my emotions were larger than I am. And I'm not gonna lie, because that is sometimes how I still feel, that my emotions are bigger than me. With bipolar 2, I can't always justify what I'm feeling, but I can justify why I'm feeling it. And that is enough for me. Because with having heightened emotions, I feel like that just leaves room for toxicity. Especially when you're around people that aren't able to acknowledge your bipolar 2 and act accordingly. And I don't mean walking on eggshells when you're talking to me because I'm gonna blow up and see red. Because that's not the case. I think that I communicate well when I'm having hypomania or having depressive episodes. And I'm somebody who recognizes her needs and I'm pretty self-aware in that department. So if I need space, if I need something, I'm going to communicate that. But on the receiving end, I do appreciate the patience. The most important thing to me is having compassion for yourself. Treat yourself with the kindness and understanding and support that you would extend to someone else experiencing the same thing. I've learned over the few months that the only peace that I really need is within myself, and I can offer that and find that within myself. There's a lot of stigma that's centered around mental health, and I think a lot has to do with bipolar too, because not a lot of people are aware of that diagnosis. I find it crucial to find the communities that foster safety and kindness and I think it's really important as well to have a support group. This can be your family, your friends, your coworkers even, but I would tread lightly with that. I'm very grateful for the support group that I have and the people in my life that extend their arms to me whenever I need them. I really do credit the state of my mental health to them because they really do keep me grounded and I'm so appreciative of them. We are nearing the end of this week's episode, but as always, I would love to show some gratefulness. I am very, very grateful for my friend, Nami, She's a long-term friend and someone who I've been able to rely on for support, love, and care. She has consistently shown up for me and the love that she's had for me has never changed. Nami, you are the best friend that a girl could ever ask for and anyone that has you in their life is extremely lucky and they need to count their days. I love you entirely. As always, thank you so much for listening. I love you so much. Have a happy and healing weekend and I'll see you next time.